Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Raul Paul, Monetary Aristocrat, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 265. Raul Paul made some news because of a comment on his channel, Real Vision, where he explained to the interviewer that he sold Bitcoin because the people there were being mean, and he liked buying Ethereum because the people there were lovely to him. As many have pointed out, this doesn't seem like the like a great metric for making investment decisions. People being nice or mean is not a bad way to determine a neighborhood to live in or a church to attend, but it doesn't seem like a great investment strategy. After all, some of the best investments have had the meanest people, and some of the worst investments, that is scams, have had the nicest people. Yet from Raul's perspective, his logic makes a perverse sort of sense because he is what I uh, uh, he is part of what I call the monetary aristocracy. Aristocrats in the past were the people who controlled things, and they were used to being treated a certain way. There were certain niceties observed around them, and any perceived slight, intended or not, would be punished in due course. These people specialized in intrigues and machinations, and not behaving properly around such people was a death knell, socially and thus economically. Raul's position in the fiat economy is very much the same. He's used to having people curry his favor to present their best selves to him and being treated a certain way. For him, anyone who does not give him what he feels is his due respect is someone who needs to be punished. Given his position, he's very much in a position to actually do some punishing. He has lots of VC friends, and his platform is highly influential. A startup that he ignores can easily lose over one that he mentions favorably because of his endorsement. He has power in the fiat monetary system, and that's what makes him a monetary aristocrat. We saw this with Mark Cuban. He, too, is used to people currying his favor as he controls a lot of money. People like Mark and Raul can make or break you because they have a network of other people that they influence. This is the world that they come from, where easily taking offense is a form of power. Put another way, Raul is the kid on the playground that owns the ball. If you don't let him get his way, he can take his ball and go home. In fiat games, this can be fatal, as startups can't afford to question him or offend him in the slightest. He can and probably has taken his ball, read money and influence, and gone home. Fiat money has many such games because so much of what succeeds in the markets is based on who gets access to the money, not what the market actually wants. What Raul doesn't realize is that Bitcoin is a very different game. His money and influence don't matter nearly as much as the fundamentals underneath because Bitcoin is not a fiat game. He probably believes his entry into Ethereum will tip the balance toward Ethereum and away from Bitcoin. It's his way of punishing Bitcoiners for being mean. Fundamentals like real decentralization or long-term credible scarcity be damned. Raul is going over here. Of course, we've seen this before, seen this movie before. There have been many rage quits, many defections, many people who thought that taking their ball and going home or to another game would cause Bitcoin to collapse. What all of these people didn't realize is that their balls don't matter. There are fundamental economic laws at play, and they're not subject to a vote. Unlike fiat, you can't change the monetary policy to create your favored outcome. Bitcoin is the hardest money, and it's going to destroy every other money, even if you lend the opponent your support. Bitcoin will happily chug along, and its hardness is more compelling than your endorsement. 
This is why we call Bitcoin a peaceful revolution. We are overthrowing monetary aristocrats, and it is they who will become obsolete. So I wrote this article in response to what Raul had said. He was basically complaining about Bitcoiners being toxic and how everyone in Ethereum says good morning, good night, and things like that, and how they're all lovely and stuff like that. Um, and that struck a lot of people, especially people on the Bitcoin side. It's like completely ridiculous. Hey, like this guy's an investor and he's really going to invest in something based on whether or not somebody's nice. Um, and that's that's something a lot of uh, aristocrats actually did in the past. And this is a behavior um, that comes from sort of like being a gatekeeper or being somebody um, that has influence or power. Th this is their way of punishing you. If they don't like you, then they will go away from your investment, even if it is stronger uh, from a rational perspective and so on. Um, and he's attempting to do that with Bitcoin. We've seen a lot of other people attempt to do that in the past and even now and uh, you know, in the past year and so on. This is a common thing because these people are monetary aristocrats. This does work in the fiat monetary system, in the fiat world. Um, what they don't realize yet is that it doesn't work in Bitcoin. And they think that they can pick the winners by throwing their support behind them. And this, this is sort of like the intrigues and machinations that happened among aristocrats, especially with the changeover of a king all the time, right? They thought they were the kingmakers, so whoever they threw their support behind um, you know, they wanted to make sure that they would get the right positions, that they would have risk and reward. They, they thought they, they were, in many ways, the kingmakers. Um, but Bitcoin's not like that at all. It's not, it's not political. It's not, uh, it, it's not like fiat, uh, basically. And that's uh, the thing that I wanted to point out in this article. All right, let's talk about Bitcoin. El Mouton has a deep dive into compact filters, BIP158. This post is very thorough, starting with the now deprecated Bloom filters, going through how compact filters work and how they're transferred using Gululum Rice coding. The post has lots of code to implement the various structures needed, all written and go. This is a unique way to learn how compact filters work and will give you a good understanding of how modern light nodes are supposed to run. Um, so yeah, very useful uh, post if you want to understand compact filters. And since Bloom filters are deprecated, um, this is the way you're supposed to build light clients. And uh, I know Wasabi uses it and a bunch of others. Um, and if you are creating your own wallet, I, I would rec strongly recommend this. Um, in addition, uh, compact filters have a big component, uh, uh, are a big component of lightning stuff. So if you're doing lightning stuff and need certain data, this, this is the way to do it as well. Speaking of which, Lalu has a complete explanation of what happened with compact filters on Testnet this past week. It looks like Neutrino, Lalu's compact filters client, rejected our compact filter because it didn't know about Taproot on Testnet. As he explained, the client was attempting to do something that is impossible on Taproot as part of it is verification, and that's what led to the rejection. There are also a number of interesting enhancements to compact filters mentioned there, all of which have exciting use cases. So he talked about um, uh, you know this particular bug uh, there, there was on testnet basically compact filters being generated as, as they should be so it's nothing on the protocol side it's on his um, uh, on the part of the software that he wrote uh, neutrino and basically what he told me uh, what he, what he wrote in that thing is that uh, for any sort of like spend that's looking for the pub keys that are related to it which you can do pre pre taproot but with taproot um, you only get to see the spend from the um, 
actual script that spent it and not you know any of the other conditions so it's not possible to know about all of the pub keys uh, given one spend uh, unlike everything else uh, so that 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 seemed to have been the case so he he wrote about it and he he's like saying how they're going to change um, you know compact filters in the future and so on Kraken has a taproot primer this is a long and thorough document going through BIPs 340, 341, and 342, how it works, and the impact these things will have on the network. This is about as thorough a taproot explainer as I've seen without getting extremely formal as academic papers and BIPs tend to do. For businesses and developers, it's a must-read to understand what can be done going forward. Taproot launch on mainnet is only a week away, and utilizing its advantages is going to be the task of many developers the next few years so yeah taproot is about to launch in about a week um and you know kraken has uh published this very timely uh primer to really understand what's going on jameson lop answered some questions about the white paper on its 13th anniversary it's hard to believe it's been that long but lop talks about how his thoughts on it have changed over time i found myself nodding at a lot of what i read uh, so yeah it's uh it's published on the casa blog um, interesting sort of like perspective on the white paper, uh, you know, looking back on it and uh, 13 years later. Lightning. Lightning.video is a way to monetize videos directly. The idea is that a live stream or a hosted video can be shared with another node in real time and paid for via Lightning payments. They plan to have an API to enable all this, which should allow for peer-to-peer -peer video. As usual, Lightning upends the current paradigm of centralized servers charging to serve content through ads and changing that to useful direct to use direct payments which are a lot better aligned with user privacy so you know one of my big pet peeves is that you know anytime anyone sells you anything on well they're not really directly selling it to you they're giving it to you for free but it's not really free it's uh it's paid for by you watching ads or whatever and this is a terrible incentive alignment because the users get really addictive content and really it's a way to sell you ads um, whereas if you're paying directly then you're getting what you want or uh, you know otherwise you wouldn't watch it and so on so um, I think this is the right model and uh, you know I, I hope more of it comes BTC cap has instructions on setting up a watchtower in umbral watchtowers protect your lightning node from malicious channel closures and the post shows how to set up your lightning node to use such a service the trustlessness of lightning means that there is some level of diligence and responsibility required of the node operator and this can somewhat be somewhat re outsourced to watchtowers. The game theory around attempting these fairly is fairly punitive to any cheating attempts, so it should be interesting uh, how this part of the ecosystem uh, evolves. So I don't think most people will attempt uh, to cheat just because it is very punitive. Um, you get you basically lose all the money that you would have been entitled to had you done it normally. Um, so it, it's a very risky prop proposition, I think. And uh, most channels that are open, I don't think anyone will really cheat. But, you know, you do need watchtowers for these edge cases. So, you know, how much of this gets enforced and how easy it is and all that. Um, these are things I'm really curious about. And uh, I, I, I do hope as uh, Lightning evolves that we understand these threats a lot better from a game theoretical perspective. 
Gleb Naumenko has an article on how to prevent channel jamming. Channel jamming is an attack on a node by creating fake payments to occupy a particular node's channel so that other payments can't get through. There are several approaches, one involving changing the number of slots each channel can have and at particular limits, another involving a reputation system for nodes, and yet another using some sort of staking. It's great to see that this is a problem that's being actively researched and the post itself is instructive on understanding some of the adversarial thinking that goes on in these discussions. So Gleb Naumenko is uh, talking about channel jamming. It's a form of DDoS where your channel is occupied by, uh, you know, a, a node kind of near you. Uh, and essentially, if your channel is flooded or is uh, is jammed, then you can't make any pay payments through it, effectively rendering that channel useless. So. This is, uh, there are some mitigations and, uh, you know, the post basically talks about what the possible mitigations are. Very interesting stuff. All right, C-Lightning 0.10.2 is out. This release has some practical improvements and they seem pretty focused on making the user experience better through less failure. So uh, C-Lightning 0.10.2 um, is from Blockstream and they have a post on, on it, which is what's linked. And they talk a lot about like sort of, uh, you know, a lot of the failures that happen on the Lightning Network when you try to pay somebody, um, it, it, it does get very annoying and so on. So they're, they're trying to make it a lot more graceful. Um, uh, by you know tweaking uh, various things, so interesting post uh, to read if you are into uh, you know lightning and routing and all that stuff. Economics, engineering, etc. The Treasury has issued guidance regarding stablecoins. The recommendation sections are an interesting read as the report wants to regulate custodial wallet providers with regarding regard to lending, risk management, and liquidity. The main strategy of the proposed legislative mitigation seemed to be to use the existing system of banks and so on to subject stable coins to bank regulations. Given the centralized nature of stable coins, I expect regulation to come to the single point of failure. This is probably the first part of a much bigger regulatory regime where all coins too will come under the purview of government bureaucracy. So. I think they're starting with stable coins because in some sense it's the closest thing to what they know which is a US dollar and they already kind of know banks and stable coins are sort of like uh, you know dollar issuers from a bank or something like that so I think that's where they're starting um, they seem to have much bigger ambitions though and I do expect them to get to altcoin regulations and so on Adam Moore schools the Gospel Coalition's feeling on Christians investing in Bitcoin. I thought that his takedown was more thorough than the one I published last week, and it's good to see that Bitcoin Magazine is publishing this. There are just so many vectors of attack against Bitcoin, and I find that neutralizing each one is an important part to getting mainstream adoption. So Adam Moore's uh, article is really about um, you know, hey, this guy wrote this very ignorant piece on the Gospel Coalition's website. And here, point by point, like all, all the ways in which he's wrong. So I kind of did the same uh, a week ago, but it wasn't nearly as thorough and it wasn't published on Bitcoin Magazine. So I'm glad that he did that. Coinmetrics has some great stats on Bitcoin distribution. As they point out, 17.3 million of 
18.9 million Bitcoin is in the top 1% of addresses, leading many to conclude that there's some serious problems with regard to wealth distribution. They point out that most of these top addresses are exchange addresses, which represent millions of people. They also point out different entities that aren't exchanges like GBTC, which holds funds for lots of people as well. In other words, Bitcoin is pretty well dispersed. And this is one of my pet peeves is thinking that the UTXO said, uh, you know, represents, uh, you know, wealth distribution. It, it, it doesn't have anything to do each, with each other because lots of holders have many UTXOs and a single UTXO can represent like millions of people. It's uh, it, it does happen on both sides because a lot of exchanges have lots and lots of UTXOs. Uh, I mean, lots and lots of users on in relatively few UTXOs and so on. Uh, Nicholas Bustamante argues that Bitcoin is hope. The article isn't interesting because of the content, though it's pretty good. The more exciting dynamic at play here is that this is written by someone outside the Bitcoin community. The article shows me how deep the message of Bitcoin is penetrating into the mainstream as it could have been written by any mainstream Bitcoiner. So Nicholas uh, wrote this. Uh, he's uh, pretty popular writing about a lot of other stuff. So him writing about Bitcoin in particular was uh, was interesting to me. Of course, I did get a note from Nicholas saying, hey, I've been in Bitcoin for a while, just so you know, and not necessarily new to the community. Fair, fair point. Um, Mike Hobart makes a connection between the Fed and the education system. This is a pretty long read, but it details just how much of a scam the education system in the U.S. is. From rubber rooms, various regulations, and its weaponization by teachers' unions, the whole thing shows just how inefficient everything gets when there's a money printer there to backstop any leaks. In a sense, the current education system is one that no one would ever make in the free market, yet continues because of the money printer printing that keeps it up. So... Um, insightful article about just all of the different standards that go in and all of the things that interact in a weird way and essentially get weaponized by teachers unions for their own ends and so on. Um, one, uh, it, it's a long article, but definitely worth reading. Uh, let's see some quick hits here. Navajo are mining Bitcoin. Um, this should be interesting because so far, like a lot of uh, Indian reservations and stuff, they, their only business model seems to be like uh, opening a casino. I, I would love to see them, you know, try some other stuff like, say, you know, making in, uh, you know, power plant and mining Bitcoin with it or providing energy to other people. Like there, there's so many ways in which land that's uh, outside of at least some, you know, U.S. laws and stuff like that can be utilized and I don't know. I would love to see uh, Indian reservations become like, you know, uh, places where we can experiment with different things. Australian bank uh, CBA is adding Bitcoin natively. So this seems to be a big deal for from the people that are in Australia, that they seem to be a big bank. And if they have it natively, I, uh, we think that means that you'll be able to keep a Bitcoin balance in your bank account. So that, that would definitely be interesting to a lot of people. Mayors are competing to take paychecks in Bitcoin. Uh, it started with Suarez and then Adams and a bunch of other mayors from all around the world that are trying to take their paychecks in Bitcoin. When are the, you know, like higher ups of these uh, going to do the same? I want to see a governor or a senator or a president take uh, their paycheck in Bitcoin. That I think would make a lot more, 
news and so on. But for some reason, it's mayors competing against each other. Interesting. Fernando M has an explanation for the inherent volatility of Bitcoin. So this is uh, uh, an argument for why it's going to continue to be volatile against the dollar, uh, which is interesting. Arthur Hayes is another one of his inimitable articles, and he always... Uh, you know, has uh, interesting takes. He's one of the more interesting people in Bitcoin. Um, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, he started BitMEX and he's really rich and also like a bodybuilder and stuff like that. So very, very interesting guy. Uh, go, go read it if you want it, want something entertaining. Uh, another week, another rug pull, and another. Um, yeah, the, these are rug pulls from uh, something called Anubis. Anubis Dao, um, and of course there was like the funny one that was on Twitter where it, you know it live happened while the guy was watching. Uh, some events. I am planning to be in London for the Advancing Bitcoin Conference uh, in on March third and fourth, but there is some possibility I won't make it. Uh, be able to get into the UK. I'll also be doing the programming blockchain seminars in London if I can get in and in Miami in April. Um, so uh, podcast, etc. On this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Natalie Brunel about reporting. Natalie shared her experience being a broadcast reporter working through the ranks and how media reporting has changed in the last 20 years. Um, I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find. I talked to Wealth Science and Evolved Idiots about Bitcoin. I was on Preston Pish's podcast with C.J. Wilson to talk lobbying. And of course, the new book is um, Thank God for Bitcoin. My other books are The Little Bitcoin Book and Thank God for Bitcoin. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. Fiat Linda Est, this song is done.